public broadcast on behalf of the N podcast, Alan Moore Month. The following contains adult themes and explicit language, such as blackguard, scoundrel, nincompoop, and what the fuck are you looking at, you slayer? I swear you're going to do that again, or fucking come over here and strive you, you cunt! Should this put your sensibilities in danger, then we suggest you visit your nearest physician and ask for a hot beef injection of sweet, sweet manliness. Farewell, friends. Jesus wept. <laughs> Right, right, and as always, that was the introduction done in absolute perfect timing, without mistakes. <laughs> and yes, we are the Empod, and this is the penultimate episode of our Alan Moore month. As usual, you can find us on all platforms: YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Now, and what's the other one? What's the other one that I'm missing out? SoundCloud. SoundCloud. We're on SoundCloud. We do daily posts on Twitter. We also sometimes post to Instagram, but you can follow us on most platforms at at, at the end underscore pod. So if you do that, could you please throw us a like or follow a subscription or, you know, just tell us that we're doing a great job because we are doing a great job. I mean, I've seen these guys in action. They're pretty good, you know. Like, you should probably do that just so whenever we update next time, then you'll know that we're doing it and we'll upload and you'll be like, oh, these guys are good. Subscribe, follow, whatever it is. I have fantastic rogues gallery with me today, as always. So, put as much space between me and Brian. Because <laughs> no one can compete with what that man says. Uh, I am your host, Marvel Spank. You'll find me on all platforms, as it sounds. And if you would like to say hello to our listeners, please, Tara. Why am I always surprised? <laughs> Hi, everyone. This is Tara. I'm to you from snowy Delaware on the East Coast. Yeah, we haven't had a good snow in three years. We are batting down for over a foot. Do you know the only thing that I know about Delaware? I'm scared to ask. No, I don't. It's in Wayne's World too. If it makes you feel any better, there was at one point a contest to pick our new slogan, and they got stuck on how many places you could get to from here. And we're only an hour from Philly. And <laughs> they really did try to sell that. Yeah, I'm not going to lie to you. I know Delaware's interesting by the amount that I'm not actually listening to you right now. Rude! <laughs> Ollie, please brighten the mood. Tell them where you're from France. and make it interesting for God's sake. I'm in France. I want to get out of here. Please save me. Send some relief. Please, please, please. Would you like me to put your address on all the platforms as discussed and see who turns up? Oh, or is it more not. of a cry for help? <laughs> Only psychopaths, so... Oh, okay. Oh, I can so. Goosey baby, what you got for me? Oh, nothing. Just <laughs> hanging out here in Texas, drinking a beer, talking to my buddies. Hoping to talk some... been like two weeks. I've missed you guys. Yeah. It doesn't sound like I'm super excited, but I'm just extremely tired for the past couple of weeks of work so you had to forgive me i'm brian saving the best till last i don't think anybody minds me saying that take the floor yes please. pick it up pick it up pick it up back on the scene crispy and clean you could try but then why because you can't intervene it's brian with the y that is brian boogie down brown Find me on twitter at b-o-zero-d-i-d-e-d-o-w-n you can find me on all platforms if you're looking. Yes, here from the south coast of the UK. Let's do this. I'd just like to add brap brap if that's acceptable. 
Who's <laughs> <laughs> my dealer, Ollie? <laughs> I told you, man, I got the whiskey right here. Right here. <laughs> good stuff. Well, I think that before we start proper, it'd be a good idea to say what we're talking about this week. And that is V for Vendetta. It was originally serialized in black and white in Warrior magazine in 1982. And upon Warrior's cancellation in 85, DC published it in full after a competitive rights battle in 1988. Of course, there was the film that was released in 2005 and David Lloyd followed Alan Moore from 2000 AD. So with all that in mind, that was was some read. I mean, it was... It was grueling, but it was rewarding as well. At no point, I wouldn't say it wasn't even enjoyable. I felt uncomfortable for the duration. To paraphrase the um, the story, it's about V, who is a vigilante anarchist who's trying to overthrow the British government in the not-too-distant future from 1982, but in our distant past. He befriends a young, aspiring street worker called Evie. (laughs) Wondering where you're going to do that. And start trying to train her up to potentially be in his successor. That's at least the story supposes it. Were your initial thoughts, Goose? Did you enjoy it? Ooh. I absolutely enjoyed it. It's one of my favorites. I've read it several times. It was good to go through it again. There's a lot of things you pick up on after multiple reads that just kind of make you giggle. After the attack on the Fingerman, what's the detective's name? He says something about, uh, I don't know if, if he's physically or mentally, uh, you know, just insane or whatever. You know, he's probably escaped from a mental institution. Mm-hmm. And you just kind of laugh in your head after you've read it and seen the end. Yeah. And, and like that joke just kind of pops off. And I think it's one of those books that's supposed to make you uncomfortable. Alan Moore likes to leave things kind of open-ended and leave it up to the reader to interpret. This is his magnum opus. Define his writing style around because you can see some of the common themes that, that we've seen in some of his other books. Matt mentioned when we went over Killing Joke about how he, he does tend to throw uh, sexual assault out, uh, especially early on in his stories. Because Evie Hammond's only like 16 and that's extra creepy. Well, um, not for the UK, not for the UK. That's um, over here. That's the legal age. Oh, yeah. But over here, it's like in our defence, we are still three years ahead of both Japan and Nigeria, and about four <laughs> years ahead of Alabama. <laughs> this is true. Hi, Alabama. Hi, Matt. Hi, Matt. <laughs> hey, Matt. <laughs> Matt did You're welcome. You a, did I ever tell you what a girl from Alabama says when she loses her virginity? I don't know. Will it go in the book as her first words? Oh, Next no. to a first oh, hair yeah. clipping. Oh, oh. Anyway. I'm so glad that I have editorial control. Oh, so yeah. What um, what was the last thing you said? Talk at least make it sound like there was a, a pensful thought. Back to back to more genuine things. V for Vendetta is one of those books that I think anybody who really gets into comics, I don't think it's one that you should start out reading. This ain't the Treehouse Adventures, you know, the True Journey Adventure. This is the Little Women of goddamn comic books. Super good. One you really kind of have to pay attention to. You can't just skim through it. Loved it. Glad we did a read through on it. It's quite interesting that you bring up the previous podcast as well for Killing Joke. because I thought that was almost a truncated version of V for Vendetta. He split the duplicity of V into the two characters of Batman and Joker. Killing Joke was like an inner dialogue within V. Fair. 
arguable yeah thematic follow-throughs about mental stability and also having very gray areas between protagonist and antagonist and well, what they I, believe their roles are it's funny that you mentioned that because one of the things we mentioned when we were talking about the killing joke was the mirror image aspect that batman mm. and joker train mm. but in this one i think it's less of a mirror aspect of evie and b and more of a mirror aspect of evie and us in the end evie yeah. has a choice ian alan moore said when writing the book leaving uh, interpretation mm, up to the reader. Mm. We all know that Alan Moore tends to go more towards anarchism. So we could see him aligning more with B. He shows B as well as North Fire <laughs> Syndicate as B, one being fascism and one being anarchism and how they're basically the exact opposites of each other. And it's not Evie having to picking this route or this route, seeing the evils of both yeah, and, and then absolutely. leaving it up to us to decide where she went. So it does draw a lot of parallels with The Killing Joke. And like I said, when we talked about Killing Joke, you can open up a book without the credits <clears> on it. And halfway through, realize you're reading an Alan Moore book. I think it's interesting as well that you bring up the whole mirroring thing again. The main difference with that, there's a defining line, whereas I think with you write with anarchy and fascism, that he makes this almost gray area in the middle, whereby he humanizes some of the fascists, just guys doing their jobs, just guys that are following what's yeah. happening at the time. And also with anarchy, Anarchy without possession of the self is just chaos. That's what he does fantastically well. He doesn't pitch it as determinate ideologies. He's creating this grey goop in the middle where a collective versus the individual comparison about responsibility and either and neither work. <laughs> well, for the listeners out there, I'm nodding along hard so you guys can't see this. Thanks so sometimes people are listening going, are they there? And I'm literally just here going... <laughs> Yo, that is serious. Yeah, that is some serious <laughs> depth going on right there. <laughs> I hope you're talking about Matt because nothing I say is serious. Yeah, goddamn. <laughs> I'm so glad Tim's not here because me and Matt get to look like the enlightened. I was just worried about him not being here. <laughs> I didn't even know. <laughs> that's that's why I've been swatting up so much this week, you know, not to give it any premise. <laughs> well, wait for the drop. By the way, hi, Tim. I miss you. We miss you. Yeah, <laughs> we miss you. But other than that, Brian, did you enjoy it? What were your yeah, overall no, a- absolutely. impressions? I mean, it's strange. It's, it's not enjoyment. Kind of like nutritional food to nourish my brain or something it's because like a ginger shot no one in this w- world you likes a ginger yeah. shot but you take but it because it's supposed got, to be good for it. you yeah <laughs> again this was around in my heyday it was everywhere it is a pop culture icon that face and i'm glad i had the opportunity to really dig in get underneath the skin it's important it's prominent definitely one of those books that someone has to graduate to you yeah. can't say to someone sure. even if someone who's literary pick this up 14 Ounce alluded to that you can see his other works and namely uh, Watchmen. I'm glad we ain't doing Watchmen because there's no way I would have done that in 10 fucking uh, days. Just for the record for everybody listening, Brian was the only guy that stuck to solicit. Brian was the only guy that possibly managed to read it within the seven days before we decided to take a week off because this thing was so dense and this guy is such dense. a trooper. He did it. I feel I, <laughs> it, yeah. it's, it's a turgid it's a read, right? It's yeah, turgid. it's a lot. It's a lot. It made me cut out my evening TV with the missus. She's just like, oh, I'm just like, no, watch what you want. I'm just, and I'm just in this, in this book and I'm digging through it. It was like work. And then it's not until way into the book and you're like, all right, I'm getting to see the parallels and it's beginning to make sense. And, and this is not to critique what you said. To say that it's about him 
training up someone to take his place is obviously an oversimplification. Certainly. By the way, Ollie, would you like to start by telling people how quickly you managed to read this? No, so I read it uh, this weekend. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. (laughs) I think I I would have just got the white flag out and gone, nope, nope. Well, it was something else. It it was an, an experience. I was first surprised of is how massive the book actually is because uh, I just knew the movie and I didn't think there was so much of the story that ended up left off of the adaptation. I love uh, the way all the political landscape of this universe is described. The leader, the voice of fate, the criminal underbelly. That's my favorite part of the book. The character, the main character is disturbing and what he survived. You have compassion for him, but you... Always something that happens. No, no, I can't support this guy. What he's doing is it's too much, is awful. Yeah, yeah. What I love the most is uh, the analogy with dominoes and uh, mm. the way all, the, all of those people in the high sphere of this government are eating themselves like sharks in the water. Arubarous. As soon as she starts to eat the fan, it's everyone for himself. And it was very enjoyable to see them. I think it's quite interesting that you bring up the the hierarchical government position more set up the structures. He wasn't writing about their near future. He was writing about the current day, but he needed to provide an element of fantasy, just enough for people to buy into it. Things like the CCTV coverage, he thought that he was pushing the realms of suspending disbelief. However, that's what it's like living in the UK now. There's uh, an introduction by Alan Moore saying, uh, I'm sorry, this isn't full enough. I'm sorry, I wasn't on point. Man, he was on point on so many things. It's amazing. It's quite funny how we become almost anesthetized for, especially over the last 18 months, about what's going on in the world. Mm. Okay, we have another crisis. I stopped following COVID deaths and COVID infections after about the first six weeks. Okay, it's still happening. Almost the perverse interest in what's happening had gone. Almost takes a work of fiction to give it verisimilitude with those slight tweaks so you suspend your disbelief when what you're actually reading is probably a more accurate portrayal of the world around you than, than you actually appreciate. It's a, a really clever writing tool. This was my second read and I had also seen the movie. So I was struck by how differently it hit me this time, I guess because it felt a lot more prescient. I did go in with some themes in mind that may come at it from a slightly different angle because of having listened to what you guys said about the killing joke and frankly, because of my film, about how Alan Moore uses the gaze of the camera um, differently than a lot of authors. Also, as it was Alan Moore, I was where is the female trauma? You know, sort of looking at it from a process perspective. How do the protagonists of the stories react? A protagonist versus anti-hero. The saving of the day is not a trope in his hands. So I was sort of looking at things like that than I did when I was reading it for pleasure by myself. Please. Thank you for not letting me down. If you started the pandemic single, then you have sandpaper hands by this point. (laughs) I I have moisturizer on right now. (laughs) All these eyes. That's not why. Sorry, sorry, Ollie. There's no padding here. 
mean, killing joke. His Joker pushes everything to a degree. Is the same with V. It goes back to what you said very incisively about the, mm. the killing jokers. And Goose, between you, you put together that Joker's insane, but he's also extremely intelligent. And you added to that that he was unbridled. And I think they are definitely things that you can see in V. Picking up on what Tara said, one of the headlines to my notes was protagony and antagony are one in the same. What's actually said in subsequent interviews that to put anarchist versus fascist was too easy mm. and that there had to be grey areas. The 99.9% of people that aren't in control of their own destiny and it's that 0.01% of people that make the t- decisions that make everybody either fascist or anarchist. Mm. So he didn't want to make it as simple as bad guys versus the good guys. He made this very grey area with some of the... Oh, goodness me. I think this was one of the one of the struggles for me. With the art style, especially with the colouring, which I know we'll come to later, that it was hard to identify some of the characters. So some of the, yes. the, the main major players in the state were hard to identify. I think there was one, though, called Fish or Fisk or something Fish. like that. He tries to give individual characters a bit of a journey so that you start with typical or atypical characters that then mediate towards a middle ground together. That's one of my sort of personal tenets that good and bad odd completely man-made constructs mm. it's only the three c's Cause. context and consequences and that's what i think that this really examines really really firmly whatever decisions people make for inverted commas good or bad there's the cause the consequence and the context there's the reason why there was a subsequent reflux and there's context in which it happened on that day and i think this is a great examination of that way of thinking maybe it's just my personal bias but i definitely i saw that in in v to know those three c's earlier in my life trying to explain what an anti-hero is and the difference mm. between quote unquote traditional protagonist I've struggled to articulate it before and it's not easy and it's still mm. muddy but actually if you use that framework was it cause consequence and context context okay and those do help that's really what where the shifts are between the traditional hero and the anti-hero yeah the reasons that they do what they do the context in which they do them and the consequences I want this to be an independent thing on its own merits now with three I, I call them masterpieces i mean it's one of the things that really surprised me mm-hmm. i know when you hear the words alan moore you're like okay alan moore i read watchmen i was like yeah okay yeah fine sure yeah, yeah. sure <laughs> good I've read that now. From the pop of the starters gun, Killing Joe, sensational. Halo Joe, the biggest surprise. The biggest Mm. surprise, so good. Mm. And now this, Mm. and he does not write happy stories. Yeah, they're not happy, clappy. Not mad. And Mm. to still be hungry for Captain Britain next week. There can't be any sexual battery in that, surely. It's hard not to draw comparisons because we're three weeks in. It's almost noir London, Gotham-esque. There was definitely a template for what he would write in The Killing Joke with that in mind. Yeah, no, a hundred. England prevail. Make Britain great again. Okay. Ollie brings up a good point there. The, one of the, the central themes of emancipation, questioning false idols of justice, the self, even God in the third chapter. And England mm. prevails is almost emancipating England from any responsibility to anything other than England. This role of identity and emancipation from identity is something that has clear separations through, is it chapters or books? Let's call them chapters. In the first chapter, you have the emancipation of V from his self-identity when we have his backstory. In the second chapter, it's about Evie's emancipation from her own identity. Third chapter, we see Finch mm. realising what he's a part of and he emancipates himself 
from the identity that he's been given through the state, through hallucinogenic. And of course, in the end, when V succeeds, we have the emancipation of England from its identity. The only way to have everything is to have nothing, to have that freedom, that lack of mm. possession, not materialistic things, but the lack of possession of the self is the only way to be completely free. England never felt more like an island. We are not sure about America, Europe, there's nothing. Mm. There's so much detail in this that it was like a nuclear holocaust, wasn't it? Like America yeah. and Europe are basically gone. Alan Moore said in the introduction that he was sorry because he was saying that uh, some would survive a nuclear holocaust and it wasn't the case. He felt it was uh, some naivete from his part. But yeah, you, you have a world that's isolated and you have this make Britain great again, and some mm. 1984 reminiscent with mm. the voice of fate and the whole apparatus of the state. I mean, whatever the case was, the film would be doing it a disservice regardless, because it's, it's literary work. But it was it's just too big a concept to try and do in a film, unless you're going to be doing it in a trilogy or something. Right. A popcorn right. film, no. Alan Moore is totally justifies just like, fuck Hollywood, and it just like, right. me out. And he was right, because look, look what happened with Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> you had like literary genius in Thor Disassembled and then that's what we had. Dick jokes. Colleague was actually accurately describing something that I thought about the juxtaposition between the norm and the normality of the absurd. And I think there was a couple of prime examples, one at the very beginning and one at the very end. When V hijacked the broadcast, what what was it called? The voice or something like oh, that. The voice of fate. Yeah. Voice of fate. The voice of fate. Oh, the voice of fate. Not computer generated, but, uh, but uh, it's supposed yeah. to be. Yeah. It was very funny. <laughs> the guy, when he was held hostage by V, that he said he was only following orders, he was just the guy that was running the TV and radio station doing this public broadcast on behalf of, of the state. And he wasn't complicit in any of the acts that were do it, done in the name of the state. Later on, one of the old dears that was standing in the street talking to a friend when V disabled the CCTVs on every single corner, said, oh, I used to like those little cameras following us. This acceptance of the absurd and how quickly that, that can become normality as opposed to actual normality. Well, here we go with the theme of relevance, right? And how it just brings it full circle to now. People are just happy to give up their, their privacy. Where do you draw the line? Just because you're not doing anything wrong, it doesn't mean that you should freely and willingly give your rights over to the state. Oh, can I... Do you know when Finch went to the ovens, the people ovens, yes. as he described them? Did you think he was going there to kill himself? I thought those pills were going to be cyanide. I thought he was going there to kill himself in remorse. But when he took LSD, what, like five or six tabs? He would have been off his fucking Mad. nut for like at least a week a on week. that, or he would have died. Like, so that was the point when it brought me back into it, because that last yeah. chapter was heavy as fuck. It was, it was, it was, it was a really, bit hard work. Really I mean, what, tripping ain't no easy thing, fam. It is hard work. Not it's first hard work. <laughs> you can't come off until it's done. Okay, well, I'll tip in on this. You are right when you say that tripping is hard work. It is not something, not so much for the faint of heart, but, but more for the faint of mind. Mm. But I will say this, <clears throat> some of my best work that I did while in college, I did tripping so hard that I could not tell the difference between my fingers and the keyboard. I would write 
write most of my papers, if not all of them. I did, including, uh, I did my SATs and my ACTs on like five hits of blotter. Because for some reason, while you're not in the right state of mind to talk to people, you are in the right state of mind to connect with these abstract mm -hmm. thoughts with relative things. And it's also been shown hallucinogenics and things that it can do for, for the mind. As far as you look at people with PTSD, MDMA, as well as psilocybin mushrooms yeah, to that, bridge yeah. those connections for synapses for, that have been broken. Psilocybin actually opens up your mind to broader concepts that you would not generally not not think about, but not be open to in, in a regular state. The way that I, I looked at it is he was trying to tap into a state of mind that he sober could not get into. And so the lucidity that comes from, say, a, an LSD trip. And so you look to people like Fear and Loathing, Hunter S. Thompson, who would do copious, copious, copious amounts of drugs to get into the mood to write. And he was writing that gonzo-style journalism and, and, I mean, doing big publications and stuff while tripping his balls off. So the connection that I think you were missing there was mm -hmm. really this the counterculture, especially yeah, the one yeah. that Alan Moore was, was sucked into. I can see where Alan Moore would have this character cross that line, breaking the law to catch the criminal to get into the mind of B. Oh, no, no, I was only going to say, I don't even think it's necessarily um, narcotic in induction that, that creates it. I think it's an altered men mental state. And Brian precisely brought this up before with people with psychosis having a different worldview. Vincent van Gogh actually self-admitted to St. Paul Asylum in St. Remy. <laughs> I was watching Ollie, that's why I'm laughing. And he did some of his most prestigious works there. Do you remember the bit takes LSD about black skins and how he, misses, he missed them and all the nuances that mm. they lost? Then you think about the color palette used. That's true, there's a lot of nuances lost. That's true to everything in that universe. They lost every bit of diversity. It's like we said, everyone look a bit the same i think it's intentional mm -hmm. and i think it makes a very valid point as well only a very brief duo like all the eradicating diversity did was shackle culture and the amount of art and music it was it was when v actually first introduced evie to the library he mentions aretha franklin she's talking to him about when he asked her about the war and they go through about all the people that got disappeared first and the people that got disappeared mm. first were black people were the pakistan and then after yeah. that, they came for the homosexuals. And then after that, they came people for the socialists voted. and they came for people who who disagreed with yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You and really get this sense that they're living in this crazy, crazy fascist police state. And the craziest thing about it all is there's a lot of places, especially places where we are, where this could very mm -hmm. easily And that, I think that's what makes mm -hmm. us all uncomfortable. That's why I was thinking about, well, 2022, next presidential mm. election, well, I can see France becoming the you know, it's happening in Amsterdam. It's happening all over the place. Yeah. Well, I, no, no, no. I agree with you. You, you were talking about the, the girl mentioning the cameras at the end, how she kind of yeah. misses them following her around. You look at places that are like huge surveillance states, like like China or, or hell, North Korea, man. And like, and I'm not trying to get into like, like I say, we're not trying to like pick a side or, or choose politics or anything. But I mean, 
if we're talking about V for Vendetta, it is a very political <laughs> book. And we can look and see this book you said was written, what, during the very early 80s? That's what, 40 years ago now? 41 years yeah, ago? Yeah. So we're able to draw parallels from a book that is almost half a century old mm -hmm. to what's going on now. And we're looking at actual surveillance states where we've got facial recognition technology. Yeah. They talk mm -hmm. about him wearing the mask and how it avoids retinal scans. That's a serious thing. I don't know if y'all are familiar with Juggalos at all. Do y'all know what Juggalos are? ICP? I don't know what Juggalos are. Okay, okay. So ICP is this group called the Insane Clown Posse. And oh, no, ICP. Okay, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, yeah, I know yeah, yeah, yeah. They're the creepies, woo, woo. right? They're the creepies. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. That's right. So, so here's the thing. One thing that most people don't know about, but facial recognition technologies, they're good and all, except for if you wear face paint. And the problem with facial recognition cameras is they only have like a 75% success rate. And this goes into like what they were doing with the fate and the nose and the voice and all that. And so we see it on a worldwide scale. People be talking about V for Vendetta, like we're talking about 1984 and Brave New World now. That's the crazy thing about it is because it's still relevant to this day, almost a half century later. That's the beauty of Alan Moore's work. Was the way that Alan Moore was commenting on his present a prediction of the future? Or does it tell us that even back in the early 80s, late 70s, been in the state that we have now, except it's possibly just not as well reported? That if Alan Moore saw this then, then it wasn't a composite idea of things that were non-fact. He wasn't putting fictional things together. For it to have had a presence in his mind, it must have been at least part factual. I mean, we're living in the media age, right? That is ever present and ever pre prevalent yeah, at the end where obviously the guy bust shots at him you can't kill an idea ideas are bulletproof we've just seen yes. that on fucking capitol hill right because that's the wrong idea talk about good ideas in the hope that things will get better bad ideas are, are catching fire everywhere we know that halo jones originally black and white mm. and that the coloring came afterwards to give the harsh almost communistic tone color was added afterwards gave tonally the story gave it that heavy set but i think that it was difficult to identify certain characters <laughs> Neil Gaiman says that at the beginning of a story you need to give everyone a silly mm. hat oh, but, exactly so you can find them and v had his mask but nobody else had an identifying feature and i had the same thing with the walking dead it took me about six volumes of them thinning out the cast and then bringing in a, a black guy so i knew he was the black guy <laughs> there was the housewife okay she's the only living housewife we've got rick okay i remember rick that's fine and it was just like to actually bring in people that you could identify through visual characteristics it wasn't really until halfway through the last chapter the third chapter that i really identified with them the yellow tins across the City represented the fact that the whole atmosphere was and actually yeah, yeah. some of the characters who became antagonistic they would be colored yellow too yeah. they also had a blue tinge someone who was morally couldn't understand where they stood the husband that was being treated like doormat and she gave him strawberry filled chocolate as a reward spat it out and it was pink and brown and that was the only thing that had more color yeah. on it yeah i noticed and that, that was quite succinct it's really powerful I started to look carefully into the background. The crowds, the masses, all had white faces. This showed to me they were all potential anarchists. Because V's face was white, there was very specific moments where someone in the crowd had this hyperextended smile or a long-drawn nose. Definitely the superimposed characteristics of V in the blank pale faces of quotidian folk on the street it has to be intentional the more that v came to prominence the more of that i saw waiting for a signal to possibly act i made a similar note that i wondered if visually 
they were trying to echo that people were identified with him. A visual pregnant pause. Yeah. It's funny, I kind of had soundtracks in my head when I was reading it because it was so sparse. And there was a scene <laughs> where they showed a crowd walking. Mm. It was getting closer and closer. And then you noticed it was me just standing there in the middle of this crowd. And we just mm. kept going closer and closer and closer. And I just kept, fuck, this is brilliant. Dude, that gave and, me the willies, and, you know. That gave me the proper willies. Like that close yeah. up and the close up. Man. Yeah, what? Fucking yeah. 40 years ago. It was, that was awesome. It was chilling, wasn't it? Yeah. It was, yeah. Oh, man. It was wicked. I remember um, a panel in the first part of the book when V saved Evie. Like you said, she has this gigantic, disturbing smile. Why is she smiling like that? She was almost raped, almost killed by cops why are they making her looking like this and uh, what you said it's all making sense now with all the uh, the general public and why i think it's hyper extension of the cleansing that's happened as well this can't be the way that it was originally intended because it wasn't originally colored it wasn't black and white it, it at least appears a very intentional mm. identification mm. i mean we have to talk about how sinisterly awesome that whole mask is oh, you know so there'll be good. times where the cheeks will yeah. be colored if you watch a film without the soundtrack there's not really yes. an effect but the shade provided the effect it's amazing how you can make that one expression mean 70,000 different things that's not a smile it's a grimace it's a smirk so many different expressions in that one image amazing was it just me or did you have to keep reminding yourself that it was the exact same yeah. mask yeah. Yeah. No, yeah it's clever we see Evie's emancipation it's almost her expression by contrast to the fixity of V mm -hmm. that gives it volume. And I think mentioning Evie, we can't not talk about what he does wow. to her. That wow. Just, wow. You know, and, and this is Moore's ability to write stories within stories. Did you Evie's... see it coming, Brian? Did you see it coming? No. I didn't. I didn't. No. I didn't, I didn't no. see it coming at all. At that point, I messaged you. I think I messaged you and I went, Moore's a genius, isn't he? Right, guys, I think that's a good place to end it. We've done a thorough and rigorous exploration of Alan Moore's Viva Vendetta, which I think was uh, it was good, wasn't it? It was good. I think we'll all agree it was good, and that was a good yeah. discussion as well. So I think it's time to bid our avid and sometimes rabid followers goodbye. Tara, would you like to start by saying goodbye to everybody? Goodbye, everybody. I hope you have a great week. And if you're in the same storm system as I am, be careful out there and all that pretty snow. Ollie. <laughs> this is the voice of fate speaking. <laughs> goodbye, people. Wow. That was, that was that's kind of attractive, right? I can't be the only one thinking oh. that. It's like deep and husky. Like that, I like boy. it, man. Yeah. Oh, I Ollie. still want this tape. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Why did I do Angry. like a Yoda thing then? That's weird, wasn't it? Anyway, Ooh. let's not get sidetracked. <laughs> Brian, God damn do, it. did you enjoy that episode, mate? How did you find it? Do you enjoy Absolutely it? Absolutely, Tifa, tremendous. And that was good. <laughs> My head's hurting me. I don't yeah, know if it's the whiskey too, or the laughter or the in political exploration of Vendetta. Heavy, wasn't it? The discussion was as heavy as the as the book, but it's yeah. good. I feel like we did a good job. I think we did it service. Yeah, a thorough <laughs> exploration. <laughs> yeah, let's. E E A C E. Uh, Goosey baby, what have you got for me? Was what a, have you got for the fans? It was a pretty thorough explanation. We discovered a lot. We had a good time. 
we talked about uh, the <laughs> classic bestseller, yeah. Beef Vendetta, and we had a really good time, and it was good talking to y'all after almost half a month. Um, and so, can't wait to see y'all again soon. Yeah. So, Yeti. that only leaves me for Courageous Host, Marvel Spank, aka Matt's. Marvel Spank on all platforms. I'd like to thank the cast for being here today. It's been a terrific effort. And that leaves one thing to say. We have been, and this is, the end.